and welcome to Payments Insights. I'm Jyoti Rambai, Editor at the Payments Association. Today I'm joined by Matt Cox, Director of Digital Payments and Cards at Nationwide Building Society, and Peter Tobin, Head of Debit Solutions at TSIS. Welcome Matt and Peter. Hello. Hello. We're going to be discussing payments convergence and the transition away from card-based payments. However, before we delve into this, can you both tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves? Matt, what do you do at Nationwide? Oh, thank you. Look, I have been working in Nationwide Building Society now for just over 25 years. Um, I've been involved in everything to do with um, digital, going back to the launch of internet banking, if you can believe it or not, and then everything to do with digital payments ever since. Um, my role, as you said at the moment, is Director of Digital Payments and Cards at Nationwide. So that means I'm responsible for around 9 million members that use cards to make payments every day. And I'm also responsible for open banking and open banking payments. And we see a growing number of our members starting to use those as well. So yeah, everything to do with payments. Thank you, Matt. Peter, as another payments veteran, what do you do at TSIS? Hi, yeah, I'm Pete Tobin. So I um, have been working in the payments industry for around 35 years. I'm showing my age here. So I started working in the payments industry when debit cards were first introduced into the UK. You know, you probably all remember Switch. But I've also worked in around 52 different countries around the world. So I've been lucky to see, you know, how payments work all around the globe. Um, I've now landed at uh, TSIS, which is part of Global Payments. And Global Payments is a really big company that does um, payment transaction acquiring and issuing. So we, we, we operate on all sides of the the payment spectrum and for us obviously uh, any threats to the you know card payments are a big issue and we need to make sure that we strategically respond to that so that we can deliver offerings to our customers that support both card and non-carded payments in the future and in my role as um, head of debit I'm very much focused on the issuer side of the house and looking at how um, that's going to change as non-carded payments start to be used for some of the use cases that card payments are currently used for. Thank you. It seems there's a lot of potential for account-to-account payments moving into the space normally occupied by card payments, for example, e-commerce and even point of sale. So Peter, what trends are you seeing emerging in this space? Well, so um, so I, I think open banking has made some inroads into certain types of transactions. So. Um, transactions which were typically around moving money between accounts. Um, So for instance, if you're going to pay off a credit card with a debit card, or you're going to load up um, money onto an ISA type account, those type of use cases, we've seen quite a big movement away from using cards to using the open banking rails. And that's obviously a big incentive for the people who are um, taking those payments because they're saving quite a big amount of merchant acquiring fee. And um, and it's really, really, it's really using a kind of push. It's really just taking something that would have been an account to account payment, and it's actually turning it around so that it's actually a pull payment in a, in a mobile app as opposed to pushing it from your banking system. So we've seen that taking place, but so far we haven't really seen much traction in terms of uh, um, non-carded payments going out. Um, broader into e-commerce and um, and certainly not really to the point of sale. And I think one of the big reasons for that, we're going to discuss that in more depth later, is 
there are a number of things that need to be put in place in order to allow that to happen. And what we've seen with PSD3 and with the you know latest announcements in the UK, because obviously the UK not being part of the EU any longer doesn't fall under uh, PSD3. What we've seen is a kind of desire from the regulators to look at how they can uh, address some of the concerns that exist that are preventing the kind of adoption of non-carded payments. Okay. And Matt, what trends are you seeing? Well, look, I mean, we are seeing um, the growth of account-to-account payments. Um, Today, though, that's still a tiny fraction of the payments that are managed on card. So in a month now, nationwide would see about a million transactions that are run through um, open banking payments. But that's, you know, probably less than half a percent of what we would see through our card network, just to give you a sense of scale and and size. But it is growing. Um, It's growing about 5% month on month. Um, The the kind of use cases that um, uh, Peter just outlined are the ones that I see as well. So typically, this is our members that are choosing to move money from one of their accounts to another account. Um, and they're using that as a mechanism to do so. They're paying off a credit card bill. Um, they are um, choosing to, you know, pay money into an investment account, for example, um, where those use cases have been enabled. So, so it's 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 definitely a thing. Um, it is by no means yet something that is um, displacing card um, as a mechanism to pay. Um, but what we can see from the direction of travel from the regulators specifically, is a, a strong desire to unleash the potential of account-to-account payments such that they can provide a true um, competitive alternative to the card networks. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into you know some of the, the barriers and benefits of that in a second. Well, yes. So what do you think are the benefits of payments conversions across the ecosystem? And not just for the regulators, but the retailers, the banks and the consumers. Well, I mean, look, t- today an, an account-to-account payment is, you know, free effectively to the merchant and to the to the third party that's initiating it. Um, so, you know, there's definitely a commercial benefit to go after at the moment. Um, I guess the key question for me, though, in that is, you know, can it remain free? So if you want this to be a genuine alternative to um, cards and it needs all of the other things that a card service has to make it a true alternative for, say, an e-commerce purchase or an in-store purchase, then it probably can't be free. So let me make that real. Um, you know, Part of the uh, fee that's charged for a card-based payment pays for a disputes mechanism so that if a um, consumer doesn't get or, or, or thinks that that payment wasn't um, wasn't valid or they haven't received the service, they can dispute it and they can get a refund. And there's a whole mechanism process that runs behind that such that that works. Well, you know, that, that's in part funded through the fees that are exchanged from merchant through to card network provider through to issuer. So, you know, there's definitely a commercial angle to it, but the extent to which that can remain a differentiator in future, I think, is, a, is an open question. Um, beyond the other benefits, I mean, ch- choice is always a good thing. But I'm not sure this is hugely being driven by consumers. I think this is being driven from a, a, a competition angle primarily. Okay, so then what are the challenges? Like, what then does the industry need to overcome in order to make this a reality? 
Well, I think I think Matt's kind of touched on some of the most important things. I mean, you need um, you need a the right consumer protections in place on the non on the non carded payment rails on the account account payments. So you need something like the dispute process, which exists for cards, and you also need things like you know Section seventy five type protection that you would get by you paying with a credit card today. You don't get on an account to account payment, so you need that. Um, you also need to improve the experience of the consumer because at the moment, if you're making an account to account payment it's really quite kludgy because you you know you have to open your app you get selected you know a big list of banks you have to select which bank you want to pay from you're then presented with all of your accounts and you have to select that and you go through a secure authentication and all of that's fine if you're kind of making um you're paying off a big credit card bill but it's not a great experience if you're trying to you know if you compare that to the an amazon type experience where you just dive in add something to your basket and check out and you're gone in, you know, 20 seconds. Um, it's, it's very different at the moment. So I think um, there's a kind of recognition that that needs to be much more seamless and it needs to be a much slicker process than exists today. So I think, you know, from my perspective, it's all about protections for the consumer and having the things the, the things in place which are on the card rails available on the non-carded rails. And it's also just about improving the user experience so it it's seen as a genuine competitor to card payments okay um matt do you have anything to add on that yeah look um look, cards have evolved over what 50 to 60 years worth of investment in them um so they have a very good experience um you know for for the millions of transactions online shopping that we do today um you know, we might only challenge an authentication within the strong customer authentication rules on 20 to 30 percent of them and of those 80 percent plus will go through for us a, a pretty slick you know mobile app to app biometric authentication process and that's very very um seamless process and it's very very secure so so definitely you know there's an experience angle to this the other things that i think are worth drawing out though is those fraud protections that exist on card-based transactions, you know, they are the result of you know, years of investment and strong customer authentication. Um, and as a result, we've seen significant um, reductions in fraud from e-commerce transactions. Um, when we implemented um, SCA for online shopping um, a- a- about 16 months ago now, what we saw was about a 25% reduction in card online fraud. Um, which for, for 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 me in my role means about 2,000 fewer members a month that are victims of fraud online. That's significant. And if you want to grow account-to-account transactions to provide a true competitor to those card-based transactions, um, well, then we need to invest in the defences um, in the same way that we do for card-based transactions. And there's huge opportunity to do that. Like, this is all possible, but it requires focus, it requires investment, and it requires coordinated change across the ecosystem to provide the same kind of protections. And so, you know, I'd add those two things in particular. All of the other things that Peter said, you know, they're all, they're all true. You need to think about the disputes process. You need to think about the consumer protections. You need to think about the IT resilience. You know, cards networks operate 24-7 around the clock. You know, there isn't planned maintenance that impacts members usually for card networks. And so all of that needs to be 
you know, an equivalent if you want a, a really highly available, highly, um, um, highly slick consumer experience. And it's worth remembering that, you know, at the end of the day, if this doesn't benefit the merchants, then you know, it's not going to work. And what the merchants really care about is, is it available and is it going to increase dropout at checkout? Because if it is, the losses there are prohibitive. So I think there's a long way to go, a long way to go before we've got a, a true alternative to cards in all of those dimensions. And what about beyond the UK then? Peter, what role will the EU's PSD3 play? Will that accelerate payments convergence? Yeah, so so I think it's worth mentioning, obviously, that the UK is on a different but similar track. I think you'd probably agree, Matt, that the, the UK is kind of looking at similar type of issues. In fact, I think there's a pretty good argument to say that to some extent the UK is ahead of some of the countries in Europe because we we kind of all got together. We had this kind of OBIE initiative where all the banks built out a standard set of interfaces. And I think um, the UK is probably in a better place than most of Europe. I think when you look at the rest of Europe, you find that banks took far more defensive positions around open banking. This is, this is what the, the regulators are saying that the availability of the APIs wasn't great, the quality of the APIs isn't great. And so what PSD3 is looking to address in Europe is really, um, it's moving from being a directive to being a regulation. So that would mean that rather than um, being a directive which then gets taken into the law of each individual country and is adopted to the needs of each individual country, it'd be a regulation. So basically what the regulator says will be the law in each country. And so we're going to see much bigger standardization across the whole of Europe. We're going to see a much more standard set of APIs, a much more resilient set of APIs, uh, better fraud protection, um, better uh, SCA, and, and also this kind of idea that you know things can't be free. So there's now a conversation starting about how the how the banks are compensated for the processing of those APIs. And they're now saying that you know that there will be a kind of cost framework where money will be paid from the by the users of the APIs to the banks who are exposing those APIs, which again will help um, fund the investment that's needed by the banks to build this extremely resilient infrastructure that Matt is talking to. And um, Matt may well you know highlight any differences in terms of what's going on in the UK. Well, like I think what what. EU and UK legislation has in common is they are both genuinely striving to provide an alternative to cards. Um, and, and, you know, that, that they're in agreement on. Um, in the UK, as Peter says, we're probably ahead in terms of having you know, a really clear standard, a set of payments APIs that are, you know, already highly available for the purposes that they are um, uh, designed for today. And there's lots of activity happening through um, the Joint Regulatory Oversight Committee in the UK seeking to define at an industry level, okay, so what should that dispute mechanism be then? What is the model of consumer protections that we would want? What is the um, commercial framework that should exist that ensures that there's you know, sufficient transfer of value to make it sustainable? It's just that these, um, you know, these are big questions and you know it's, it's a complex ecosystem that we're operating in so they're going to take some time i think to um 
to, to, to crystallize into um, changes that consumers can see. But I think we'll see continued growth in those payments in the meantime anyway. Like you don't, you don't need full set of consumer protections on every payment, particularly if it's low value. You know, so, so there's plenty of scope to go after in parallel. So let's look at that scope. Both of you spoke about the need to develop a new framework and mechanism. Peter, you mentioned a little bit about the cost. So to deliver the changes that will be required to deal with these challenges, especially where the cost is an overhead to each transaction, my question is, who's going to be paying for this? Well, as I said, I think I think for the first time, there seems to be a recognition of a, a number of things. Firstly, the, the banks are going to continue to provide these services that they need to be recompensed for the for the for the investment that they're making and the infrastructure that they they require to put in place in order to support that stuff. So I think that's that's a healthy thing because at the moment everything is effectively free and you know and to some extent there's a feeling that you know people have built things under sufferance as opposed to building them based on a kind of clear commercial need. Um, so I think I think that that's that's probably the, the the most important thing I think is is getting the money from that. There's also within PSD three there's a concept of of premium APIs. So there's a recognition that banks can actually develop open banking APIs over and above the the basic set of APIs that are needed, and they can sell those as premium APIs and they can monetize them. So. I think we're we're now starting to see this kind of recognition that we need to move into a a kind of world where everybody in the ecosystem is compensated, and that will allow us to get to a kind of true open banking scenario. Okay, uh, Matt, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, yeah. What, what Pete said, really. I mean, I, I would swap the word compensated with incentivized. I think so. If you want the kind of um, investment and experience that consumers will expect if they're going to use this, then you need to make sure everybody's incentivized across the value chain to develop it and continuously improve it. Um, so, you know, that inevitably will require, you know, merchants to pay for a service for a flow of value through um, those that are providing that service, including banks or building societies that are um, ultimately um, running some of the technology infrastructure that underpins this. Um, it, 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 it's not free, um, and it needs to be. It needs to be effectively run and maintained and supported. And ultimately, if there's a if there's a value case in this, then well, it, it, it should be it should be sustainable on that basis. And that's what we're trying to define as an industry. I think over the coming months. Um, Peter, do you think we'll see the technology stacks within banks change over the same time frame too? Well, so I, I think. There's a number of different lenses you could look at that through. I mean, the first thing is, I think, when we get to a, a state where consumers are making payments and it's not really obvious the rails over which those payments are working, then in order, then the consumer is going to expect a similar type of experience. So I'll give you an example. So many banks have introduced this thing called card controls, where somebody can block certain channels of payments. So um, if you you know, if you have a, an issue with gambling, you can block uh, gambling payments on your mobile app and it won't allow you to make a debit card gambling transaction. Now, um, 
what we will need, I think, is that same type of functionality to be in place on the on the non-carded payment roll rails. Because what's going to happen is people are going to go into a store or go to a, a website. They're going to have one experience. What they can't have is then to go onto another website and have a completely different experience because they won't understand the the nuances between the two payment types. So I think inevitably there has to be some form of technology convergence because. A lot of the capability that's delivered on the card channel today has to be delivered onto the account-to-account payment channel. So there's definitely technology change around that. There's also a a kind of convergence of of standards that's taking place. So there's a standard called ISO 222, which kind of is is an overall payment standard. It started off mainly kind of in the account-to-account payments area, but the card schemes are looking to adopt this standard as well in the kind of medium term. And so what that will mean is from a technology perspective, that there is the possibility to have one payment switch that could deal with both card and non-carded payments. So of course that then raises the issue, you know, is it wise to put all your eggs into one basket? And that's a kind of perennial um, conversation that goes on within the IT and business community within banks, because on the one hand, um, having one system that does everything is, is, is it, to some extent, a single point of failure. So if you have one payment switch and everything in your bank goes through that and that payment switch is unavailable, then everything stops. But, but on the other hand, it, it gives you one point of investment, allows you to build out an extremely robust infrastructure to minimize the chances of anything ever failing. And so if, if you look at the way technology works today, you have these um, central infrastructure switches that exist for non-card payments and card payments. And they're effectively single points of failure, but because they are extremely robust and they, they you know, uh, uh, been built on a highly available architecture, people don't think about it because they pretty much work all the time. You know, you can count the number of times on, on one hand that, you, you know, card payments have stopped working. You know, people think about the visa outage a few years ago. And everybody remembers that. And the reason they remember that is because that type of outage is really, really rare. So I think that's going to be the big debate. There's a, there is an opportunity for really big convergence in terms of technology stacks. But I think different banks will probably take different views as to the extent to which they'll adopt that. Matt, I know you've touched upon this briefly, but do you have anything you wish to add? What does your crystal ball say? Look, I certainly don't think that would be the intent. Um, I, I think this, this is about choice and optionality without introducing any additional risk. Um, and to be clear, you know, I don't think in my working lifetime we're going to see the end of cards. I think this is a long-term, gradual coexistence. Um, and provided the industry can put in a number of those um building blocks that we were talking about, so fraud and disputes and protections, um, and invest in the IT, that it will provide a viable alternative and it'll do that, provided there's a commercial model that you know, make, makes it sustainable to do that. And even then, they'll, they'll, they'll coexist. It's, it's not, I don't see too many risks in, in that sense, provided we do this on a planful basis. You know, ch- choice for consumers is never a bad thing. I, get, I guess my concern is that... Um, yeah, that, that there are some complex things that need to be achieved in order for those, um, you know, high high volume use cases 
e-commerce in-store, which is where we see the mass of card-based use. Um, yeah, th- th- there's a long way to go. And also, like I'm, I'm, I'm personally just as interested as making sure we protect the use of cash in society. You know, all of this is lovely and interesting, you know, for those consumers that are digitally active, but we need to you know, invest in that, but not at the expense of those that are not digitally active today and rely on cash and choose to manage their money and their budgets from cash and should be allowed to continue to pay for cash so they are not excluded from certain retailers and certain certain locations. So I think we need to balance and manage all of those um, different ways of paying all at the same time. All right. So Peter, then, in 10 years' time, where do you think the industry will be with payments convergence? Well, I think we know Matt's answer already because he's given it to us. But I, I, look, I agree with him. I think there's going to be a, I think we're going to see a gradual move towards account to account payments. But I think cards are here for the long term. I think um, the, the the payment schemes are very big, powerful organisations that continue to innovate. If you just look at everything that's gone on with things like, uh, you know, Apple Pay, for instance, you know, the card schemes are continuing to invest. They're continuing to innovate um and i see that card payments are going to be around for the you know for the foreseeable future i think i I just see that there will be a gradual move across to account to account payments um it's interesting though that you know the card is also a really good um way of authenticating yourself you know and if you look at what was going on in in europe around the um epi initiative which was where they were going to develop their own kind of alternate uh, card payment system. That was really going to run on the account-to-account rails, but everybody would still use a card to authenticate themselves at the point of sale. So it could be it could be that actually payments convergence isn't the end of cards, but actually it is true convergence between account-to-account payments and card payments. Maybe the world maybe the world in the future will show a coexistence of the two as opposed to one winning over the other one. Okay, uh, Matt, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, well, not not too much. The only thing I'll add is just remind ourselves that you know, consumers don't know and don't care. They just buy stuff, right? So they typically don't care whether they are spending on card or an account to account payment or a chaps or a swip. Like this is this is terms and phrases that we use because we work in the industry. The vast majority of consumers don't know and don't care, and nor should they. Um, I, th- I think this is for us to make sure that we're providing you know, the choices to the ecosystem participants and the merchants. And we do this in a, a, a safe and secure way. Um, the, the sort of thought that I'll add and, le- and, and sort of, I guess, leave this conversation on is let's just make sure that we do this and solve the biggest problem that our consumers have got right now, which is fraud. Um, and, you know, whatever we do with regard to account-to-account payments and the continuing battle on every other type of payments needs to focus on solving that problem um, first and foremost and making sure that we don't ever take our off the ball in terms of that um, ongoing battle against fraudsters, which is, you know, equivalent to a pandemic in this country. Thank you, Matt and Peter, for sharing your insights. That's all we've got time for today. Join us again soon for another episode of Payments Insights. To access more podcasts, videos and articles, go to thepaymentsassociation.org.